This is Scott Harding. And this is Mike Rule. And you're listening to Podkist. Ow. That's right. Oh, yeah. All right, Kiss Army. You wanted the best. You got the best. Now close your eyes. You're about to be Podkist. Welcome to Podkist 155. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Mike Rule and Scott Harding from the band Iron Fist. They're huge KISS fans, longtime podcast listeners. They support all the KISS podcasts. Mike and Scott donated to the first Rock and Pod Expo in 2017, and they helped make some great memories and great dreams come true. Now, Rock and Pod 2 is happening on August 25th at the Nashville Palace in Nashville, Tennessee, and you can donate $50 or more to be a guest on an upcoming episode of the podcast. I'm also going to do some original KISS-themed art that we will be selling to help get money to make Rock and Pod 2018 happen. Rock and Pod 2018 boasts appearances by rock stars, record producers, vinyl and memorabilia vendors, and on-air personalities from over two dozen of your favorite rock podcasts and more. Rock-themed panel discussions will take place throughout the event. Plus, if you buy your ticket now, you get access to a private Facebook group with exclusive audio from the participating podcast. Tickets to the Rock and Pod 2018 Expo are available now for just $10. You can get the info online at www.nashvillerockandpodexpo.com. That's Rock and Pod with an N. And if you're interested in our Podkist exclusive perks, get a hold of us on the Podkist Facebook page or by email at zilchorders at gmail.com. Zilchorders at gmail.com. We want to meet you at the Rock and Pod 2018, August 25th at the Nashville Palace in Nashville, Tennessee. Get your tickets or claim your perk today. Welcome back to your podcast. I'm Ken Mills, one of your hosts here today. Today we are at the Podkiss Diner, the one that you hear at the beginning of every Destroyer album. So if you hear any clinking or clanking in the background, we're live from the home of the Podfather, Ken Mills himself. And today I am joined by two very cool gentlemen. Gentlemen, please introduce yourself. Uh, thank you, Podfather. Pleasure to be here. I am Scott Harding. Uh, I'm a music professor at Central Michigan University, a longtime KISS fan, uh, and drummer and co-lyricist for the band Iron Fist. I actually Sorry. have your albums. Oh, oh awesome. splendid. Awesome. And yeah, you, uh, sir, are? I'm Mike Rule. I am also known as Rebel, and uh, I'm a businessman and entrepreneur and a community leader in the area here own several businesses, and uh, I am the lead guitarist and lead vocalist, as well as co-lyricist and co-founder of Iron Fist. Aha. Uh-huh. And that's got nothing to do with the TV show on Netflix. Nothing no, to do no. with uh, Danny Rand or Motorhead or anything. Nope. Isn't it weird that, like, you guys finally get the band up and running and moving, and then, like, a couple years later... Yeah. I've actually gotten several uh, letters from the U.S. Uh, trademark office uh, that uh, Marvel Comics may be uh, infringing upon our copyright issues. 
Wow. And I thought, yeah, the day I decide to take on Marvel Comics is the day I eat my hat. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> no, we, we, we don't want you to choke to death on the brim of your chapeau, so. No, 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 no. It's a stovepipe, so it's going to take a while. Uh, now, I'm looking at your room. You've got a bunch of amplifiers, Marshall stacks, a bunch of cool Kiss swag around there, and a bunch of instruments. So it's a pretty little cool kiss room you've got going on there. Yep, this is actually our recording studio. Um, this is where we do all of the Iron Fist recording right here. And it's a little room in my house, and uh, we take over the living room, set everything else up when we're doing it, and everything you hear has been done here for the most part. So. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I know you guys are no stranger to the kiss room. No, absolutely not. We've had uh, every uh, kiss room demo. We've been there uh, from day one. So excellent. That. <laughs> now you gentlemen are here today because you decided to help the podcast out you decided to help the kiss room out you you decided to help the nashville rock and pod expo out the 2017 version you actually ponied up a hundred bucks to have this conversation today absolutely you know the the call went out um i started seeing posts uh from chris sinzak on facebook about um getting this thing up and running and it just sounded like such a cool idea uh, and then you had uh, the call to arms uh, on the Facebook page for the podcast uh, with several levels of involvement. And I talked to Mike and said, you know what, let's do this. It's super, super awesome uh, to get all those podcasters together. Uh, and from the sounds of it, it was just a tremendous success. Well, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart because it was indeed a tremendous success. And you helped get Gary Schaller there. You helped pay for his room. Awesome. Awesome. So your money did not just, you know, it just it just wasn't spent on barbecue and, uh, you know, <laughs> alcohol. Uh, it's seriously fine with that too, you know. I mean, well, that's a separate package. We'll we'll hit you up for that next time. <laughs> hey, let next us know. year, we're in. You guys really need to come. I'm serious. It uh, it, it was it was a heavenly experience. Absolutely. Today's episode, I'm going to call the facts of Kiss. going to take the good and take the bad, the facts of KISS, because really it comes down to your opinion. You take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have your opinion of KISS. But many people pass their opinions off as fact, right? You remember that that show, right? Yeah, the facts of KISS. So who wants to go first? Let's go with a hurt and a heel kind of a thing, right? So who wants to go first? Give us your worst song of kiss and how does this go like five to one like okay like Um, we'll we'll save the absolute worst and the absolute best for ones sound good 
Yeah, that sounds fine. So starting yeah. out at five, sir. Okay, so five in terms of, and these aren't necessarily my like most and least favorite, but from a songwriter's perspective especially, I feel like these are like the five best things that Kiss has to offer and the five worst things that Kiss has to offer. Uh -huh. And Mike and I were talking about it. It's hard because these are songs that we love, even if we think they're terrible, or uh, songs that sometimes I don't particularly like, even if I think they're well-written. So... Uh, what do you want? You want me to go first? Yeah, I'd like, Scott, you go first and right. give us the hurt. Yeah, the hurt first of, yeah. of the least egregious of my list of Kiss songs. So, Scott, I want you to give me the worst Kiss song in the catalog, according to you, and why it's the worst. Okay, then I have absolutely no choice but to start with, from Smashes, Thrashes, and Hits, Let's Put the X in Sex. What is That's, it about X and sex? I hope, I really <laughs> hope that most of the blame for this song can be laid at the heels of uh, Desmond Child, mm -hmm. who I generally love as a songwriter, mm -hmm. but I think that uh, Let's Put the X and Sex is the exact same song as Bad Medicine. Mm -hmm. uh, and I even listened to the karaoke version of Bad Medicine just yesterday and sang X and Sex over top of it. And with just a few differences of arrangement in terms of number of measures, it works perfectly. Uh -huh. It's it's the same song. Uh, the, you know, we all know the break. You know, I heard somebody knocking, so I opened up the door. She wore a hat, shades in a trench coat, wasn't wearing that much more. Uh -huh. That's the exact same break as I need a respirator because I'm running out of breath for you're an all-night generator wrapped in stockings and a dress. Uh -huh. It's just, um, I don't know, it's, it's a little... It's puerile, it's infantile, and it's the same damn song. Drives me crazy. He did write both the songs, and that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So that, that I love to lay the blame for this at his feet because the two songs came out within months of each other, and he just went to the well one too many yeah, that's times. What I was say. Yeah. yeah. It also kind of reminds me of Robert Palmer's "Addicted to Love" a little bit. Oh. Okay. Yeah, I'm hearing that. Yeah. Yeah, that that was a big thing, and I think that everybody was like, "Hey, let's do a song that has that swagger, that same kind of thing." And there's nothing wrong with the swagger. Yeah, I'm all about swagger. Bunny Carlos can do swagger day and night. I yep. just song drives me bonkers. It's okay. a dumb song. <laughs> so Desmond Child did write both. So we're going to lay this at his feet, even though uh, we do love you, Desmond. We do, absolutely. Yeah. I heard Desmond speak at a conference in Los Angeles in 2007, and the guy's great. I mean, when I've got as many top ten hits as he does under my belt, uh, you know, whatever. But, uh, <laughs> but this song is terrible. And you know what would happen is you'd probably like look back at your career and go, my God, I rewrote X into sex again. Uh -huh, exactly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No question. Now, while we're here, what about the video? Um, gosh, 1988, 89, mm -hmm. I don't know, that, that was just the beginning of me buying bootlegs on VHS, mm -hmm. you remember you used to get those little stapled pamphlets in the mail when yes. you signed up back a hit parader, 
So any chance to see Kiss on the television was welcome. Um, and you could say the same thing about the Rock Hard video. You know, the, mm-hmm. those two songs from Smashes were both abysmal. But the chance to see them, yeah, the video sort of trumps the, the awfulness of the song. Now, I'm not saying that the girls weren't pretty that were in it. But I'm going to say this. Could they have fed them a cheeseburger or, you know, grilled cheese or two? Very thin. Very thin girls. 80s ladies. 80s ladies. Very nicely said. You know, me me and Gene, we uh, like a whole lot of women, as they say. (laughs) Absolutely. But, I mean, I think, you know, in a lot of ways, those songs, and and I'm with him on that, but it, it... it captures what that time was like, and if you didn't live through it, you wouldn't understand it. You uh-huh. know? Yeah. Absolutely. Very true, very true. So while we're here and we dipped into X and sex as your hurt and your worst, give me the best and a heel. Uh, you want a heel for that. Okay. Because mm-hmm. um... you've got the worst. You know, you take the good, you take the bad. So we've, we've got the bad. Right. I, I see what you're doing. So now we're uh, going to put something good in the pile. All right, so to prove that Paul Stanley can write a really super, super, super quality song, Uh I'll go all the way back almost to the beginning, and I'll say that Hotter Than Hell is one of the best Kiss songs ever done. Paul, as as he's often acknowledged uh, in interviews and in uh, his own book, is a big fan of, like, writing his version of a song. Yeah. And Hotter Than Hell is definitely his version of Freeze All Right Now. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of feel and tone and lyrical quality. I don't know. I, I think if you're going to steal somebody's song, first of all, you could do a lot worse than to steal from Free and to style your vocals after Paul Rogers. I think that's a good place to start. I just think that it's a really well-constructed song. It's got a good groove. I like all the silence in the guitar riff. Mm-hmm. And I've always liked it when the song doesn't just go verse, chorus, verse, chorus, solo chorus 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 mm-hmm. you know in a, in a fade out so i like the way that hotter than hell gets through that second chorus and goes through that little bit of a break with the big gong hit and then just does kind of a long jam uh while they fade out you know i, I think it's just really well constructed agreed you know that was one of those songs that when i was gosh 12 13 whatever it was i was trying to figure out what it was all about you know what i mean it just yeah. lyrically conceptually how does how does this work and it, it just always made me uh, a little leery of married women for a while <laughs> you know well wasn't it uh wasn't it our our eric singer who said you know uh this is i have, i feel like i'm single tonight yeah <laughs> Well, actually written by Paul Stanley. Uh-huh. There yep. you go. So, in a way, uh, that song, All for the Love of Rock and Roll, it references Hotter in Hell. I never really put that together. Yeah, it's like the nice payoff. You know, Paul realizes that, whoops, she's married, and then, ah, it doesn't really matter. I'm single tonight. <laughs> as long as no one's uh, chasing you through an airport with a gun. exactly that's the thing now that now there's a song that needs to be written chasing me through the airport with With a gun gun. yeah which is kind of like give me three steps by uh leonard skinner you know yeah Yeah. 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 hey hey fat fellow with your hair colored yellow now that's (laughs) that's some beautiful romantic poetry right there absolutely so 
All right. Other gentleman on the caller, sir? Please introduce Michael, yourself, you Michael, and just to make sure people can hear the voice, you know, the difference in the voice. Michael, what is your hurt and what is your heal on the facts of kills? I have to start with the, with the worst of the worst. Well, Ken, I'm going to pick Into the Void from Psycho Circus. Mm, interesting choice. The song never feels like it resolves to me, you know. It uh, the lyrics actually aren't too bad looking at it from a songwriting standpoint there, but um, when I listen to the song, you know, it goes through the verse, and then all of a sudden it's like another song in the chorus, and I feel like that's the bridge, and there should be something more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it drives me nuts. Yeah, you know, I don't. I just, let me clarify that I don't think there's a bad Kiss song out there, but if I had to pick one, this would be what I would say would be on my list of the least favorites, so to speak. Uh, I just don't think it's well written at all. There's such a disconnect in it that. Uh, so that that would be probably at the bottom of my pile. What do you think of Into the Void, Scott? Well, you know, Psycho Circus was such an exciting time for all of us. You know, we were promised a new album by the reunited band, and we got it, and it was immediately apparent that Peter wasn't drumming on the majority of it. I mean, even my ears were developed enough by that point to know. I don't think Peter has been practicing that much to play like that. That's uh-huh. not taken away from him. But it just doesn't sound like him. Maybe that's a safer way to put it. doesn't sound like him. And so, of course, then we find out very quickly that Ace and Peter's involvement on the album was fairly low. So I'm happy to have an Ace song there. If I believe what I read, then what Mike has to say about it feeling like an incomplete song or, or almost two different ideas tacked together really plays because didn't Gene say something about Ace bringing in um, Into the Void and it was so unworkable that he had to quote-unquote fix it, uh-huh. uh, something they could record. So if it sounds like two different songs, I think that's why. Yeah, absolutely. Into the Void for me is one of those missed opportunities or kissed opportunities or whatever, it, but that's that's most of Psycho Circus, right? I mean, yeah. when you think about yeah. it, it could have been so much more. But I've found that you have to love something for what it is and what it's not which you know sometimes i don't care who it is when you put a new album out like there are people that uh were so glowing over the new cheap trick record and some that were so negative and i feel that a lot of times when a new album comes out it's not really looked at as a piece of music unto itself Uh like for example if i love I don't care. You you can pick any band out there, right? King's X, uh, Pink Floyd, whatever. And, Blondie. You know, Blondie, yeah. And whatever it is, and, and you heard something at the age of 12, 15, 22, whatever, it, and, and it caught fire with you, you want that fire again. 
And if you don't find it on something that's come out in, you know, 2014, 2016, or even 2017, you may not even be willing to open up to that album, right? Yeah. Which which is one of the things that I find when we're doing roundtables is that I'll find myself listening to an album that I really don't like. Like, for example, we recently on Cheap Talk, the Cheap Trick podcast, did Bust It. And that was an album that I can tell you I listened to probably 12 times and then put it away and never listened to again. See, I, and I, that's funny because I like both the song and the album quite mm-hmm. a lot. But when we did this show, it was a two-parter. I pulled it out and I, I was forced to listen to it, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. And I found myself listening to an album that I dismissed and going, this is pretty good. It's actually yeah. really <laughs> yeah. great. Yeah. So sometimes that's one of the blessings of doing a podcast or reviewing things is that you actually get to take a different look at things. So I actually right. busted went like way up as far mm-hmm. as something that I had written completely off. It's something that I really dig. So Michael, having said all that, you, mm-hmm. we've done the good, we've done the bad. Yep. Now let's give me a good one. Well, being as Ace is one of my guitar heroes, I can't leave him in the dick, so I'm going to go to another Ace song. Um, and it's interesting, the contrast here for me, because um, while lyrically I think Into the Void is actually pretty good, you know, as a songwriter, uh-huh. the song that I'm picking on my best side actually is not that good lyrically, but the music is just so good. So I would have to go with Parasite for uh, on my good side. Um, and I think because the lyrics there are so minimal, I can dismiss that because the jam and the riff is just so outstanding on that song. Uh-huh. Um you just want to pick up your air guitar and just go with it, you know. And as a guitar player, of course, that's everything. When somebody picks up an air guitar, um, you, you've been successful. I know Scott will say to me, "Hey, I find myself jamming along with you on our own stuff." But right. I, I, I've had success here, you know. Um, so I, I'm going with that song just because musically and, and the lick is so good. Even though the lyrics are kind of not the best necessarily, that's not a showstopper for me on that song. Uh-huh. Did you happen to hear uh, Gary and I do Parasite? Uh, I haven't, no. No, no. Oh but, my I, God. but I'm going to yeah, now. I was going to say, we will. I bet before we're done today. <laughs> yeah, it. Uh, we actually played it live. So this is the Rock and Pod All-Stars 2017 Jam Band. And this is me on vocals, Matt Porter on vocals, Robert Bentley, Joe Polo, whoever is walking by, <laughs> Alan Tate on bass. Lee McCormick on drums, and Gary Schaller on lead guitar. Check it out.
support. That's awesome. And what you guys were doing there is one of my favorite things about Parasite in the original studio version, and of course, anytime Ace plays it, is that Parasite always feels like it's on the ragged edge of disaster. Yeah. Parasite, yeah. when it's played right, always feels like it's just one or two beats away from falling completely apart, but it never does. Yeah. You mean and rolling love- off the, the rails of the crazy train, for example. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> And I love Bruce Kulick, no question. But the years Bruce was playing Parasite, it was so like technically perfect that the song actually lost some of its vibrancy for that. You yeah. know, it needs to feel like it's just like you said, just a little, very, very close to going off the rails on a crazy train. Yeah. If, you know, two of my three favorite guitarists and biggest influences are, are Kiss, you know, Ace Feeling and Bruce Kulick. But when it comes to this song. Nobody does it like Ace, but exactly the reason Scott said it always just feels like it's going to come off the rails. And, and as a guitar player, I love that. I, he, he keeps it together. You know, he, he always is there, but you just, it, it, that tension really makes the song work to me. So, But yeah. who knew that Gary Schaller yeah. could play like that? <laughs> I had no idea. As, kudos, Gary. Yeah. Love it. You know, I've, I've done a lot of recording with him, but, you know, what you can get away with in the studio, but just to, rip it off like that live yeah it's amazing at a, at a at a not studio tempo but more at like a live tempo yeah it kind of reminds me of that line from the kevin smith movies who says comic book fans can't start shit like, <laughs> who said podcasters can't rock and roll who said podcasters can't start some shit so anyway so our next one back on the facts of kiss here we're the good and the bad the good the bad and the ugly so uh-huh. michael are you ready Scott, you're up next. Give us uh, give okay. us another least uh, favorite. All right, least favorite. I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna pick two from Killers, actually. Mm. Um, so least favorite or or worst song uh, is Down on Your Knees. Mm. I just think this is a classic case of they got in the studio and they had a killer riff and a really driving beat and they just started to freestyle uh, lyrics over top of it and then said, that'll do. <laughs> and, and again, I'd love to lay the blame for this stuff at, uh, at the feet of Brian Adams and uh, Jap. Is it, is it Michael Jap, Mikhail yeah. Jap? I don't know, the two co-writers on Down on Your Knees. I'd love to lay the lyrical awfulness at their feet, but I don't know, that Down on Your Knees doesn't necessarily sound like a Brian Adams song, so maybe it's just Paul. Everything else about the song is pretty solid. This is just a case, I think, of you could have had such a marvelous up-tempo song coming on the heels of The Elder, and you just whiffed it. It, lyrically, and the result was garbage. Hmm. Now, I, I, I totally agree with the sentiment down on your knees. It's it's one of the most beautiful things that 
lovers, lovers can say to one another, lover, down on your knees. It is kind of a goofy song but then again if you if you like took a transcript of anybody making out and what they say you say some right. really weird shit some right? really I mean, weird stuff yeah you're right so if that's if that's the impetus for this song by all means about uh, go for it getting it on till the break of dawn right you bet you bet <laughs> now that you got me real worked up what you gonna, gonna do, do? <laughs> <laughs> what you gonna do forget about it <laughs> well, so that's your that's your hurt, that's your bad. Let's that's go with the bad. heel and the good. All right, and here you'll probably want to insert a oh. uh, record scratch flipping the record over sound. Okay. Because <laughs> we're going to go to the other side, uh, and I'm going to say one of the best songs, construction-wise, is Nowhere to Run. Mm. songs Paul needed to work out his shit with Donna Dixon but I feel like there's a whole litany of songs from this era that are you screwed me over so I'm gonna write a song about you Uh Uh, and that's exactly what Nowhere to Run is I I think that this has some of the lyrical feel of some of the Vinnie Poncia songs Uh but with a harder production style so when we in the Kiss Army sometimes say I'd love to hear Unmasked if if it had a better production or a more rock and roll production this instead is of it. pop production. I think Nowhere to Run is that song. Amen. Um, it's uh, the long pause before each chorus kicks in. Is like, wait for it, wait for it, boom, Nowhere to Run. Um, it's got Tasty Solo by Bob Kulik, I think was doing most of the lead mm-hmm. work on those four new songs from Killers. Um Big chords before the fade out to that real gentle final verse. Again, that feels like a return to some of the Vinnie Poncia stuff, but it just, I think it's more effective in this setting. What they were, I don't know if they were contracted to do those four songs or what, but when the record company said, we're going to do a greatest hits album, we need four new tunes, I think this really, really hits the nail on the head. I also have a feeling that this could have fit on his 78 solo album. Oh, very easily. And it also, you know, like a million to one is right in that same vein. Yep. Like like if you think about what a Paul Stanley solo album would have been like in yeah. from like nineteen eighty two or whatever. Yeah. It, yeah. It would have been awesome. Most of the songs would have been there. Yeah. And I would have loved to you know, I got to see Paul uh on the O six solo tour 
and I was wishing that he would have dragged Nowhere to Run uh, yeah. out of the closet because he did a million to one and it was fantastic. But um, mm-hmm. I just I think this is a really really well crafted and well constructed song. I agree, and I always had this thought the first time I heard it. I would have loved to have seen this used in the movie The Warriors. Oh, think about that because they've got nowhere to run remember how the the dj would come on and say remember how the dj would come on and say warriors you've got nowhere to run you know you might get some help in the barrio if you head down there now you know i just think it would have been really cool for them to have used this song in that movie as yeah, a kiss fan i would have marked out big time you know and that would have been a good era for that, too, because there was a lot of band placement in soundtracks like that. To have copped this song into that would have been uh, maybe a nice hit for Kiss. You know, a lot of those soundtracks were doing pretty well. I mean, you know, as a Kiss fan, that when you see that baseball team with the white makeup on their face, you're already <laughs> thinking, there's the Kiss tie-in. Just uh-huh. have a couple of them have the Kiss makeup on and play this song. We're, we're locked in. It's a good thing. One other thing about Paul Stanley's music a lot of the time, like I hear soul bands singing it. Could you imagine the Temptations doing this? Oh my gosh. Think about that. With that nowhere to run. It just... And and like the stacked harmonies. Yes. Absolutely. And you know where Paul does that that one big scream? Yeah. God, you could just hear one of those cats tearing into that. Yeah. That'd Again, Kissed Opportunities. I want to do an entire episode about the soulful side of Kiss someday. All right. Because there's a lot of stuff that, as hard rock fans, if you don't have an appreciation of soul music, and we're, we've seen now that Paul Stanley yeah. definitely does. Just like yeah. for years, I remember even back in when the solo album came out, I remember just one of those lunchtime conversations. I said to somebody, move on is basically... The miracles, my mama told me, you better shop around. Yep, absolutely. It's the same song. It's a, it's a Motown song, one hundred percent. Yeah, and and when when Paul was Paul has documented how he will take a song, and say, okay, now I'm going to do my take on this. Yep. And I think that's just another one of those occasions. So look for this on an upcoming episode of Podcast in 2018, the soulful. The Side soulful kiss. kiss. That's right. Oh, the soulful star child. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So, Michael, mm-hmm. it's your turn. Yeah. Give us a hurt and a heal, a facts of kiss kind of good and bad kind of thing. What's the bad side? The bad side for me would be Christine 16, and not maybe for the reason you think, not for the statutory rape message of the song. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, I, I laughed at, you know, Paul recently said on one of the cruises, you know, Christine 60 is probably more accurate. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, they recognize the ridiculousness of, of the song. so much better and, and and again as a songwriter i'm always looking at the rhyme and, and so forth and, and part of that is scott because he's always beating me up about false rhymes and you know mike this needs to be better let me work it but you know the first lines in the song uh, she's got me dizzy she sees me through to the end uh, she's got me in her hands and there's no use in pretending 
that doesn't even rhyme, you know. Now, he could have worded it differently and said, and ended it with pretend, and it would have been great. Oh, sure. Uh, so, you know, as a songwriter, that's the first thing I see in that song. It's like, wow, that's just, that's just not good lyrics. But um, overall, you know, it, it's okay, but it's it's just not a song that, don't get me wrong, I like the song, but if I had to pick one, I would put this one on, on the bad side. It would be a hurt for me. Mm. Now, one of the things that I've always thought about Love Gun, and people have given me some slack for this, but you know I go off my weird <laughs> theories about things, right? Like Destroyer's secretly a concept album and whatnot. And, and time, time, will, time will prove me right on that. I look at Love Gun as almost being an homage to 50s and early 60s music, because at that point we had everything from Greece to Shanana and Happy Days. It, we were in the middle of a 50s renaissance, right? It's that 20-year mark, absolutely. Yeah, and it's the 20-year thing, exactly, on point. So I look at a lot of the songs on Love Gun, and to me, almost all of them have a 50s vibe to them. Yeah, yeah. definitely with Christine 16. Yeah, yep. that is that is, I mean, that could have been a big bopper and song. And Hooligan. You know? Yeah, has to feel, mm-hmm. and certainly Paul covered or they covered. Then she kissed me, mm-hmm. you know, all mm-hmm. of that stuff. Yeah, and I, and I honestly, as much as it comes out of nowhere, and I kind of like the piano. We tried that in one of our songs with middle aged metal, and oh, it just, just didn't, didn't work, work at all. At all. Um, but it inspired us to try it. You know? mm-hmm. So, so there's definite. Like I said, it's not that I don't like the song, but I have to put something on the worst side. This would go there. Yeah, but if you look at stuff like uh, "Then She Kissed Me," "Plaster Caster," mm-hmm. "Tomorrow and Tonight," "Christine 16," you know, right. it's, it's all it's all there. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Very Absolutely. definitely. Yeah. So, and that was you know that was probably the high point of a lot of that stuff. You know, we're a year off from Greece coming out, and like you're saying, "Shanana" was huge, and "Happy Days." You know, '77, '78 were probably the high point for those shows before Fonzie jumped the shark. Yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> well, I can remember when the Ramones were on the Sean Anna's variety show that they had on. Okay. And my mom, who at that point was not into punk, she dug Kiss, and she was happy to dig all of the, the 50s music that was coming back and 60s music that was making that 20-year mark or whatever. But when she saw the Ramones on Sean Anna, she said, they're just playing rock and roll. That's it. That's not punk. Yeah. That's rock and roll. It's just amped up. Right. It's, it's loud, but it's... It's like double-timed. Yeah, it's double-timed, but it's three chords, and it's guys in leather jackets and jeans. Or yeah, the, you know, there's there's not much difference between Sea Cruise and Blitzkrieg Bop when you think about yeah. it. It's just the, the, the attitude, the swagger, and the volume, and the speed. Right. It's One, pretty two, three, much four. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> By the way, we, we have to say hello to the Bot and Queen because that's become her uh-huh. her theme song, so Absolutely. Hello. Hello. <laughs> hello. <laughs> you need a button. Christie's the one that you want. She's got them in her She's got so many 
But when I saw you wearing that podcast and kiss room pins that day, that day I knew, I knew I had to have one. I had to have one. For a limited time, you can get your own kiss room or podcast buttons free. All we ask is that you pay for the shipping and handling. $3 for one or $5 for two. Purchase via PayPal. Simply email zilchorders at gmail.com. Z-I-L-C-H orders at gmail.com. Please leave your name and address and what kind of buttons you want in the comments when you order. If you don't use PayPal, simply email Christine the Button Queen at zilchorders at gmail.com for all of your cool button needs. You've got to have them. You've got to have them. So, Michael, what is your... You're good out of the facts of KISS. Yeah, um, the opposite, you know, to me, uh, again, because I did it on the last one where I went from ace to ace, I'll go gene to gene here. Mm. I would go to the elder, actually, and I believe in me. I think this is a brilliant mm. song. The songwriting is brilliant. The The melody lines are brilliant. The rhyming is outstanding. I, I think it's an extremely underrated song because of the album that it's on. Mm. Um, yeah. I think it could have fit in other places and, and been a lot more recognized for what it is. As a songwriter, I, I think it's just brilliant. Um, and I love the message of it because my own attitude is, is very much that self-empowerment, um, which you know, ultimately is, I think, the message of KISS anyway. But um, I, I agree 100%. I had a friend recently get into KISS, and they said that's really what it seems to be about is empowerment. And I said that's true. When you look at a lot of other bands – it's us, we, we will overcome, we will do this thing. With Kiss, it's I. I, I. And even when it's a collective I, even when it's the band, it's I. Right. And yep. uh, it really kind of speaks to that thing that they teach you that you can't save anyone else. Like, for example, if there's a, if there's a, a plane accident and you need to put oxygen on someone, you got to put it on you so you can help someone else put theirs on. Yeah, exactly. right. Exactly. So that's that's really like the underlying message. One of the things I've taken from Kiss, whether it's right there on the surface, it's there in philosophy. Yep. Well, you know, one of the songs that it didn't make my best list, but I looked at pretty seriously, was um, off one of the newer albums, um, All for One. It's yeah. the same message. You know, I love Singer on that song. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think now, this is a better song overall. But Now, we also got Paul Stanley doing a bit of an Elvis there. I don't yeah. need no With money. Big, I was so frightened. <laughs> I almost ran away. You know that he knows that he's popping Elvis at that point. Oh, yeah. when oh, he's yeah. doing, I don't need nobody. You know, it's just so cool how he does that. Love it, love it, love it. He's so. a monster drummer anyway. I mean, you know, God bless, rest his soul. I, well, outstanding. Yeah. Sure. I, the only problem with that is, and I, I still never really understand this, it's not Eric on the record, right? right? It's right. Alan Schwartzberg. Right, right. Kiss did that trio thing in Germany or Italy on television. That thing oh, no. Yeah. Finish. Well, plus it was also on Fridays Live. Oh, that's right. The yes. Fridays thing. Yeah. So then let's yeah. play that. Let's, let's play Kiss on Fridays with Perfect. the Eric Carr on drums. Yeah, absolutely. Paul Stanley on lead Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> and once again, here is Kiss! 
That was a great performance. But that's one of those things, it's like when uh, George Martin had Ringo in the band, he's like, I'm not sure Ringo can cop this feel. And it's like Ringo held that for the longest time. Like, no matter how many albums they sold, he was always like, yeah, but George didn't want to use me on that track. And it was nice to to finally get Ringo's version actually released. So I wonder if there's an Eric Carr take of this somewhere in the vault. Well, you'd think there'd have to be. I mean, if... I wouldn't think it would just be a rehearsal situation where they're like, eh, you're not cutting it. It, w- it would almost, I feel like that would almost have to have been Ezrin's decision. You know, they, they tried a couple of takes and Bob's like, eh, campers, he's not cutting it. So let's get someone in who will do it. <laughs> or, or it could have been when he was putting it all together, it, it just didn't have the final feel and maybe Eric wasn't there and the other guy was. That's yeah, That's true. not unlike Bob Ezrin too bring in right. if he needs it and you know time is money right sure absolutely. when you're in the studio you've got to produce so so there's your hurt in the heel the good and the bad the facts of kiss we're gonna go over to scott now here we go give us a bad one all right the bad one for me has got to be uh from dress to kill uh i've got to hate a little bit on ladies in waiting mm. so so fine ladies in waiting and and this is tough for me because i know this is mike's go-to album this dress to kill was mike's introduction uh to kiss and so it, it hurts me a little bit to pull out ladies in waiting but i get that they're writing about their experiences that's what any good songwriter is going to do. In fact, that's what any honest songwriter is going to do. You write what you know. So we've all had the opportunity now to read about the chicken coop and to know that Gene made no pretenses about who he was going to take to bed that night, whether he was going to pick three ladies-in-waiting from the chicken coop or the 65-year-old limo driver he was getting laid that night. Hot. I'm sorry, I, I caught Mike on a spit take. I actually saw him spit water across the studio, folks. Anyway, anyway, I just think this song is incredibly stupid. The verses don't rhyme at all, you know, so you've been to the market and the meat looks good tonight and the ladies in waiting will show you what it's all about. Okay. You know, I can be an enlightened male and and sort of riff on the misogynistic standpoint Mm -hmm. of it. I just think it's dumb. I just think it's dumb. Um, I don't think that necessarily makes it a bad song. Right. Gene's strained vocal delivery, uh, all of it. Well, I think he's trying to be that monster that we saw on stage with the strained delivery, as you put it. See, I think you, you took it all wrong. He's the first okay. part of the song. He is he, what he's doing is is he's going to the market to pick up housewives. Oh, this is what the song is about. So when he says, "I've been to the market and the meat looks hot tonight," he's looking at them and actually some meat. He's looking at the marbling, making sure it's good. So so he's he's there shopping, and if he gets to you know walk up to a woman and you know like that line in Animal House, "Mine's bigger with the cucumber." Okay, right, right. So so he's he's there just picking up women. 
yeah. at the, at the thing. That's that's my take on it. I, at least I just imagine like a, a a sleazy little like you know twenty one year old Gene Simmons scoping out trying to find middle aged housewives <laughs> around the meat section. Oh, are you here for the meat? That's good. Yeah. <laughs> I've got something I'd like to show you. You know. Oh, and uh, but so. Yeah. Perhaps we could go back to my grill and you let me skewer you. <laughs> <laughs> but, but all kidding aside, it's just on the music. It seems like an unfinished song to me. Yeah, okay, that's fair. And it, it's like they just, uh, again, that album, I mean, they actually added empty space on that album sure. to make it to get seem to the longer. Length, yeah, exactly. So there's that part where they repeat the thing where the guitar is doing that you know over and over and over again but it it almost reminds me of what they later would get to perfection in do you love me where it's like that sweeping almost grand choir but they were trying to do it with the guitars on ladies in waiting so sure i'll tell you what man if that's if that's a bad one that's that's still pretty damn good. So if that's one of the worst songs to kiss, I'm we're in, yeah. we're in great company, you know. So since that was that was your your number three hurt, give us your number three hill, your number three good pick. Well, my number three good pick is just from a year later, and Gene basically wrote exactly the same song uh, in Ladies in Waiting, and I just think this song is tremendous. If if Gene has to have a fuck me, suck me song, mm-hmm. um, I really, really enjoy Ladies Room. Mm. You know, when they did it live, he was in full Cookie Monster mode, mm-hmm. but I actually had to re-listen to Rock and Roll Over to remember that on the, on the studio side, he's really singing the crap out of this song. Mm-hmm. I mean, he sings well on this track. I don't think the lyrics are poetry by any standard, but they've got the good rhyming structure going on. And we were just talking about the Motown feel. I think the pre-chorus to this, um, You're Just a Jewel in the Rough, has really, really strong elements of those kind of Motown-era harmonies Uh that we'd hear just a few years later from Van Halen. You know, uh, people talk about Van Halen and what was so special, and a lot of people immediately go to Eddie's guitar playing but Van Halen's secret weapon was their harmonies. Yeah. I think that Kiss really sort of gives us a precursor to that uh, on this song. Gene's got that interesting, real meandering bass line um, with his Paul McCartney influence, but then, because this was a staple in the live show for a few years after that, he had to sing the very different melody over top of it while playing it at the same time, and I... I think he's an underrated musician, and all you have to do is listen to him play and sing songs like this to recognize, oh, he really does know his way around that instrument. Mm-hmm. I agree 100%. And, you know, the the, the kind of uh, editorial or school of thought or line of thought about Kiss is that Paul is all about the music, Gene is only about the money and girls and what. But then you hear him pull out something like you're going to lose that girl, Oh, yeah. Yep. And I'm just sitting here watching YouTube, like, with the biggest, dopiest smile on my face. And he's playing all these rare songs, everything from the Roy Head song to just songs that you've never heard Kiss do, ever. 
I mean, yeah. did, did you did, did you guys hear him sing my father? My, my uncle's a raft. No, I saw you had posted that. No, I didn't listen yeah, to that it, one. It, it's not a long bit of it. It only lasts like a verse and maybe starting into a chorus, but it was like, oh my God, that's that thing. It's like the sighting of the Loch Ness monster or right. Bigfoot, right. you know. I mean, It'd you know. be like Ace pulling out Queen for a day. Exactly. You know, yeah, and I, you know, Josie and Billy, hi, Joe. Hey, Joe. Uh, Joe posted that clip of Gene singing You're Gonna Lose That Girl and I, I made a comment on his Facebook page that I thought Gene was really kind of weak on that song in a way that I'm not used to him being. I felt like he was singing a lot from his throat and and didn't sound the best, but I loved hearing him sing it. You know, he's got the goods. Yeah. He's got the goods. Just imagine what would happen if they uh took a lot of time and, and did that like in the studio. God. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I want to encourage the folks at Rhino to get together <laughs> with Gene Simmons and the Gene Simmons band and do a live album yeah. slash DVD. Please document this because this will sell. Uh, out, uh, out of all out of all the Kiss bullshit that gets dropped, right. I, I think that this would sell. Yeah, right. I know I'd buy it just to have it. it, it it's the, the to me the Gene Simmons tour this year is a can't miss thing. So Michael, up next yeah. on the you take the good, you take the bad, the facts yeah. of Kiss. Give us your number three hurt. I would I would have to go on my number three hurt uh, with great expectations. Mm. And and I, and I guess simply because as I as I look at the song objectively, which isn't easy with any Kiss song for me, um, at all, because I'm so emotionally involved, I love all of them. <laughs> but but again, as a songwriter, I think about myself penning these lyrics and then sending them to Scott, and he lives two hours away from me. And I don't know yeah. if there would be enough f words in the email coming back to me saying, "What are you doing? What are you thinking with lyrics like this?" Um, it just says the same thing over and over and over and over and over again in a couple of different ways, and and I think that's what. You know, I get the thinking sometimes of, of especially Gene and his songwriting and what the words are really doesn't matter because it's just part of the song. Uh-huh. But on the other hand, I look at that and I think, I don't know, it just really doesn't say anything to me other than, you know, you want me to do this to you in, in multiple ways, which, of course, we know is typical Gene. So. And it's not a bad thing. No, not at no. all. It just, to me, doesn't make for good songwriting. So uh, I think that's why it ends up as my number three on the on the hurt side. Well, when you look at it on the surface, you have to wonder, like, you would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when Paul Stanley first heard this. Yeah, absolutely. Because, <laughs> be, be, because like, when, when you read the Kiss books where they're doing the reviews of each other's albums and stuff like that, or, like, even when Asshole came out, they asked Paul what he thought of Gene Simmons' Asshole the CD, the CD, not the actual body part. And he said, I hope it's the album he wanted to make. Like, he couldn't say anything good, he couldn't say anything bad, but that was his statement on it, was I hope that he, you know, did what he wanted to. Very diplomatic of him, you know. Yeah. For partners, I think that was well said. Yeah. Yeah, publicly, (laughs) right. So, So the thing is, is like, you have to wonder... What what was Paul's reaction when not only did Gene get it to a point where it got Bob Ezrin's attention, but then Bob Ezrin went, took and ran it down the football field and, and right. spiked the ball. That. I mean, he yeah. it, it is it is one of the 
funniest songs in the world. I look at it as humor and it's the ultimate groupie song. And it's kind of like an extension of ladies in waiting, large writ. Yeah. You know what yeah. I'm saying? And you've well, got the Harlem boys choir on it singing about, you know, copulation and these poor little virginal kids, you know, it's so, so it, it may be the most, the, <laughs> the most perverse moment in all of history music wise, musically. Yeah, yeah. Maybe to have young boys singing, you've got great expectations. <laughs> and honestly, I love it when they, when they did it live in Sydney with the choir behind them. Oh yeah. I think it was phenomenally musically, but it mm. still doesn't make it a great song. So. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think it's one of those things. If you don't have the sense of humor for it, it's not going to pop the right, right way you know what i mean so and it certainly would not have belonged on anything other than destroyer you know there's there's no other place in the in the in the kiss catalog with a k uh that that song would have fit other than on that specific album well it, it, it might have worked on revenge it would have um, had to have been a little darker and like, sexier okay yeah and I, maybe psycho circus but they had made that rule that it wasn't going to be a fuck me, suck me album. So, right. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a good choice. Personally, I love that track. So when I say good choice, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just glad to talk about it today. So, uh, Michael, give us it's not, the, you don't like it. It's just, if I have to pick something, yeah, you have to pick something. So, right. so let's, let's do the other side of it. Let's name yep. the song you love. So I three. would have to go back to my high school, era at this point and uh, go back to Animalize um, mm. to I've Had Enough. Uh, I think it's an outstanding song. Um, lyrically it's, it's actually not too bad. Uh, the rhyming is pretty good. The message of the song for me is um, if, you, if you follow my Facebook page at all you'll see me post this song several times throughout the year for whatever happens to be going on. I've so like if you post it like three times a day you're having like one of those <laughs> I can't wait to get <laughs> out of here at work. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, the gang vocals and the chorus are good. Mm -hmm. Paul's voice is just bone chilling. Um, honestly, Animal Eyes is an album that I use in the studio to go to as a reference. Um, mm. I'm looking for for a mixed sound and to make sure the drums are what we're wanting. I'm not, we're not trying to emulate it, but it definitely is a go-to as a reference track. Mostly Heaven's on Fire, but this is also one. So, so just uh, just a note to anybody in Michael Rule's life: if you hear him playing this song, <laughs> you might want to step back. <laughs> Catch him in fifteen minutes or so. Let him work that out. Yeah, get a little, little anxiety going on there. Uh, da -da 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 -da. But, yeah. <laughs> but you know, as a sound engineer and producer, I just think it's an amazingly well-engineered album, and this song in particular has just a message that's just a, a throat punch. Um, it's just really good. Yeah, and it is the way to open the entire record. Yeah, you know. It, if there was any doubt that this was going to be a really, really solid follow-up to Lick It Up, um, I've Had Enough definitely delivers that, yeah. I think. Who was it, Mark played on this one? For yeah, Mark St. John. Yeah. The guitar work was outstanding, too. You know, it, uh, we know that Mark might not have been able to play it twice, but what was unrecorded <laughs> was great. And Mark was an outstanding guitarist. So, Ladies and gentlemen, this is, this is how you can tell if Mike Rule's having a bad day. It's something like this. <laughs> Fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> there we go there's the ping and he just slammed the door he's just taking off in his car fuck this he's gone he's hitting the highway doing 69 <laughs> fuck this I'm out of here yeah <laughs>
So Scott. Yeah. Number four. Give us All the right. give us the bad news, Doctor. We can take it. All right. The bad news for me um, is uh, from Creatures of the Night. Keep me coming. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, Creatures is such a tremendous album. Um, and I recently discovered as I was going to load that uh, into my car uh, to listen to as one of the glorious fall kiss releases, um, I realized that it was already in the car that the insurance company totaled last November. Wah, wah. <laughs> Keep me coming. I don't know. I, I think Paul's is really screechy on this song. I don't think it's his best vocal take. The obviousness of the lyrics really turned me off. This is a classic case of wanting something more from Paul than just another fuck song. And I get it. It's Kiss. I mean, I've been a Kiss fan since 1976, so I know that this is there. But I think I was finally starting to appreciate a little more depth in my songwriting than just something like this. I think one of the more infamous Spinal Tap critics said it best. Uh, so to paraphrase, the musical growth of this song cannot even be charted. Paul is treading water in a sea of retarded sexuality and bad poetry. That sounds like kissing me. <laughs> I would have picked Danger over this one. It, it, and, you know, I think that's a to-each-his-own thing. I yeah. actually like uh, Danger... Uh, a lot better than this song, but it, you know, again, that's uh, that's just the preference for right. uh, what floats your boat. Well, to me, Danger always sounded like something Mary Hart could have done in her Las Vegas review. <laughs> have you guys ever heard her do "Smoking"? Uh, the Boston song? Yes. Oh my goodness! <laughs> Insert that here, please. Oh, if, if I can find, oh, that's what she said. Um, if 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 if. if, if <laughs> If I can find it, I will. But it was so weird because there's all these, like, Broadway boy dancer type things, you know. And they're doing, smoking, smoking. And she's got, like, this big glittery outfit on. And it just looked weird. But I always imagined her doing danger in the same way. So hopefully I can find that clip and insert it there. Oh. (laughs) So what is your, your one you love? Well, the heel is going to go almost 180 degrees from Creatures of the Night, which was the heavy rock album that we always wanted. Um, But I think that Keep Me Coming didn't deliver. My heel for that is the pure Kisco pop of Sure Know Something. I think it helps that I really, really adore Dynasty. It came out the summer I turned 11. And me and all of my friends were just, you know, everything was kissed that summer of 79. And so the album holds a near and dear place in my heart. But I think Sure Know Something is a really overlooked gem, and I'm really happy they resurrected it for Unplugged. I think the structure's fabulous. It's just the bass and drums in the opening section and that fabulous uh, wandering bass line. When the guitars finally come in, it sounds like something straight out of Chic. I mean, it's not as complicated as Nile Rodgers would have played, but it definitely has that feel. And when people talk about Dynasty being the, the Kisco album, they always point to I Was Made For Loving You, but I really think it sure knows something right up until you get to the chorus. 
and the chorus sort of slams into it with those chugging eighth notes and boom you get that huge huge guitar sound um i don't know i just love the poncia produced records uh, i think this song's got a great very fitting guitar solo that really fits paul's playing style and and just the overall structure all of those oohs and ahs in there that feel very disco-y but somehow managed to work in a kiss song like this I think Sure Know Something is one of the greatest songs ever, period. It's just a great song. It's one of those uh, Summer 42 kind of things where you're going to be made into a man. and It's just an excellent track. And again, another one I would have loved to heard someone like from the Temptations or the Spinners Mm -hmm. or, you know. God, just imagine that, right? Yeah. Yeah, or Donna Summer. That <laughs> little, would have worked. Cross label you know. love. Yeah, absolutely. Keep it in the Casablanca, right? Right. But I, it, you know, he's so clever. Even with that little nudge, nudge, wink, wink to being starry eyed in there. Yeah. I mean, the lyrics of this are so dense in their rhyming structure. I remember watching the outtakes from Unplugged, and and I you see Paul's got all those giant cue cards so that he can remember what the damn lyrics are. But it's no wonder because they're just constructed so well. Very good. Something a lot of people haven't put together, but there's various things that both Gene and Paul and Ace, all of them write about over and over and over again. Sure. Like with Paul Stanley, he has a fixation of time of day. It's 10 o'clock, okay. I, I got a rock, you know, freedom oh, comes at okay. 5, 50. I yeah, mean, right. Seriously, do yourself a favor the next time that you're listening to KISS, keep in mind the times that Paul Stanley will mention the times of day. Just out of nowhere. Do, uses, do we get to count bang, bang, you? You know, it's sure. one, two, two three, three, four. four. Yeah. <laughs> no, but anytime he says it's like, you know, freedom comes at 5.15, prison starts to quit. Oh, good call. Okay. There's so many times that he'll talk about the time of day right another sure. thing he does is talk about gambling like in love gun and in sure know something i've been a gambler yeah. but i'm nobody's fool i'll be your gambler baby lay down the bets yeah okay mm-hmm. it, it all ties in he he uses that every so often the, the gambler uh, yeah laying down a bit. okay yeah yep, i got it's you. there it's there great choice <laughs> all right so and now flipping to the other side it's Michael Rule with his number four, Hurt. So just like I went to the best side in the 80s, uh, on number three, I'm going to go back to the 80s again for number four. And it, I, I got to go with Burn, Bitch, Burn. Um, <laughs> God, <laughs> dude. And, and, and the song is just bipolar. I mean, in the beginning of the song, he wants her. And by the end of the song, he's like, I'm not giving it to you. Um, it's the, the writing is atrocious as far as I'm concerned. Um just like he just had random thoughts and it, it i don't know to me it just doesn't work and and i love the riff in the song i think i think the, the song had a lot of potential with different words um but for me it just doesn't work and uh to me it just looks like gene puked a bunch of stuff on the page again just to make a song and get it out there so uh i'm gonna go with that one uh-huh. what do you think of that one scott well i think burn bitch burn is almost universally reviled right i mean there's there's hardly been a podcast episode where that song has come up uh, for whatever reason uh, that it, people haven't just laughed about how ridiculous it is. I mean, it's a great riff. 
you know, I don't, I don't have a problem with that and, and any of the musical elements. But yeah, whatever Gene, whatever movie uh, Gene was filming at that time, you know, mm-hmm. uh, just doesn't... Ramsey! You know, it just doesn't... <laughs> These aren't the templates, Ramsey. <laughs> there we go. So, yeah, I mean, it's just terrible. It's terrible. Another thing that you made possible by your donation of money to be on this episode of the podcast was I probably did about 23 different voicemails or things for people where they come up, hey, you're the guy, do it, do it, do the thing. And I'm like, this is Gene Simmons of the Rock Group Kiss, so I would do people's answering machines. And yeah, great. It was, it was a lot of fun, but it was, awesome. people would just come up, do it, do that thing. Do it, do that thing. You're the guy that does the voice, right? Do it. See, I look at Burn, Bitch, Burn as a straight-up love song. <laughs> Pray tell, go on. Well, you know, he's like, hey, you been over, this thing happened, and this is all about the cut of pink, we're doing this thing, and, you know, I've got nasty habits. There's a lot of th- I like to do a lot of things with a lot of different women, but love rears its head. And I want to get on your case. So she, he's really wanting to be with her, right? So much that he's willing to put his log into her fireplace. You know, Maybe, baby, you want to get laid. At this point, is that even a question? I mean, it's obvious, you know. And I think when he's saying burn, bitch, burn, I think that we as cultured gentlemen have been raised that you don't talk like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But what he's saying is burn in your passions. Uh, think about I, it. I, I think the only lyrical thing worse than "Burn, Bitch, Burn" is a tie between "Sex Farm" and uh, "Big Bottom." Yeah, the beautiful. That's poetry right there. Paul Stanley's "Keep Me Coming." Uh, we see some of yep. that in this because while well, yep. she's burning in her passions, because she's she's having a really good time. That's that's the only thing that can save this song for me. So don't take it from me, man. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair did enough. you did you ever hear our interpretive reading? Of Burn, Bitch, Burn, where BJ, Gary, and myself. Yeah, yeah. yeah that was a beautiful podcast so moment. <laughs> yeah. Very beautiful. Now, that's yeah, art. It, no, it totally is, and, and BJ is it, is perfect for that because he's just got the totally nonplussed voice. You know, it's almost emotionless, and just, it's perfect. When we were going to do that, he's like, we're seriously going to do this. And I'm like, damn right, <laughs> we are. If PBS won't, we have to. (laughs) Public broadcasting my ass. This should be on there tonight. Exactly. Masterpiece theater, buddy. That's what the people want to know about right here. Right, right. But, you know, that's one of those classics Gene can say he wrote all by himself because no one else wants the credit. (laughs) So what's your heel? What's, What's the good side of things? Uh, we'll go way back on this one to Firehouse. You know, there, there's some repetitious uh, words in the lyrics and so forth, but but the song just works so well. Mm-hmm. The riff is amazing. Gene's bass line is great. Paul's guitar part is just fun. Um, as a guitarist, it's it's fun to play. Mm-hmm. It's hooky. It's catchy. I just love the song. I, I you know, and and not that I don't love any of these songs really, but this one particularly from a songwriting standpoint, um, I just can't see anything about this that isn't good. So. If you're gonna if you're gonna steal somebody's song, you absolutely should do it the uh, honor of making it better. And I really think that this is a much better song than Fire Brigade. I mm-hmm. think it's just a much tighter uh, and much more cohesive song. 
And of course, we, we let the world know about that on the podcast. We're also educational. <laughs> I, I thought that was the main raison d'etre. Yeah. <laughs> now, Michael Rule, I wonder what a psychologist or a psychiatrist would say about the fact that you picked two songs about fire. About fire, huh? You've got Firehouse and Burn, Bitch, Burn. So you actually want to, the firehouse. The firehouse is actually stopping the orgasm from happening. <laughs> nice. Because if she's Burn, Bitch, Burning, and she's like in the throes of passion and just, she just can't stop. It's like a real Seika moment, you know what I mean? God bless Seika. Oh, babe, I want to put my log in your fireplace. Get the firehouse! <laughs> yeah, this is like dumping a big bucket of water on a woman writhing in ecstasy. Yeah. I think yeah. we need to get an appointment with the doctor of love for this one. So. <laughs> All right, Scott, your turn. Yeah. Number five, the, the right. big one. This is, this is it. Number right. five. So, so this is the last. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be universally reviled, I think, <laughs> for this. But I think uh, that... The actual song "Love Gun" is really terrible, and if I I'm never sorry, had we to have hear to it stop. again live, we we have to I stop this happy. recording right now. Okay, my well, wife would I, kill me if she heard this. <laughs> nice talking to you, Ken. See you. <laughs> no, no. So, so you were saying? No, I just. Ah, uh, 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 oh, I get that it's Paul's like favorite song to perform live. Uh, I get that I'm going to have to hear it from now in perpetuity. Uh, I just think Paul's peon, pun intended, to his dick is so silly that it's laughable. Uh, I mean, it, it, and I've, I've heard somebody sing it either on, on your show or on the Decibel Geek before, where basically all he's singing is, My dick. <laughs> you know, that's all it is. I mean, I don't expect poetry from Kiss, but when the best you've got is uh, no more tomorrow, baby, time is today. Girl, I can make you feel, eh, okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, nice brag there, Mr. Speed. <laughs> the, only, the only redeeming quality I think of this song lyrically are the lyrics that are absolutely not Paul's and they're Albert King's because they come from The Hunter, which is ain't no use to run, ain't no use to hide because uh -huh. I got you in the sights of my love gun. Uh -huh. I mean, so again, it, here it's Paul stealing something that he knows and it's fine. We all do that. Mike and I do that too. No, no we don't. Shut up. <laughs> Everyone so, does. But Paul has done such good work borrowing from other songs, whether it's I Said Hotter Than Hell, Mike Said Firehouse, Hard Luck Woman was his thing writing a Rod Stewart song and Mainline steals from Rolling Stones. You know, so he does such a good job of lifting from other people that I think Love Gun, for all its rhythmic intensity, just really falls flat. You know, the studio cut has no room for Ace to solo. The only good thing about Love Gun is the scene from Role Models. That's it. Yeah, but Albert King never had this happen in a movie theater ever. Who are these clowns? Kiss? You don't know who Kiss is? No. Never heard of them. They look like idiots to me. No, 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 dude. These are four of the smartest guys who ever lived. They're these Jewish guys that grew up in New York, and they put on guitars and makeup to get girls, and all their songs are about fucking. I'm listening. 
seriously, this song is called Love Gun. It's about Paul Stanley's dick. Now this girl's gonna get some of his dick. Cool. I didn't know Jews could sing like that. No, no, they couldn't at the time. That's why they had to dress like clowns. <laughs> this got them girls? Get this. They've been getting pussy nonstop for 30 years. They're probably fucking right now. They're old dudes. They put makeup on and it's all good. No shit. You pull the trigger of my See, Scott, we had to point it out that it's it's about his dick. The, the yeah, yeah, got it. <laughs> I, I didn't know that till today. Thank you. Do, do you think Peter likes to be referred to as like one of four Jewish guys? I just wondered. <laughs> A nice Catholic like George Criscola. <laughs> But it's about his dick. Yeah, got it. <laughs> By the way, I saw you air drumming along with it there. Yeah, okay, so that's the problem with Kiss. It's a great fucking song. <laughs> that, that was so hard about this because there's none of these songs that I don't like. Right. There's not a Kiss song out there that I don't like. But to find criteria to say, okay, this is... You know, this is the worst, this is the best, or whatever. You know, but, it wasn't easy. But, but see, this is the beauty of this, because even something that's not your favorite, you're still, you know, that's you at the next concert we're going to be at. Yeah, you're going to be there looking at me going, this fucking song is played out. <laughs> and do it, you know, but you'll be, it's, it's like, it's like Lick It Up, right? I love that song, but it's like, how many times can you hear it? But it's not for me necessarily. I do say... Though that I really do enjoy that Who kind of classic rock thing yeah. that they managed yeah. to pull out. It's just, yeah, it's just a sign that I've seen maybe one too many Kiss concerts. <laughs> As if there could be such a thing. Absolutely. So let's flip the other side of it. Your number one fave song of the day. So I was talking about the abysmal poetry of Love Gun. And now I'm going to go to, again, almost its complete opposite. But from a poetic standpoint... I just really, really like Naked City. Oh. And I know I know this has, you know, it's not just Gene's song. Gene and Vinnie Poncia wrote it with Bob Kulik and Pepe Castro. So I don't know who was involved with what, but I think this is a just a masterful song. I don't know what any of this stuff means. Street vampires in the night, young lovers in love at first sight. This is my flesh and my fantasy. Older women with younger men. I've got a feeling I'm in trouble again, but I've got to live my destiny. If you want poetic kiss, I think that's about as good as it gets. Yeah. Position tonight. 
on that song is absolutely stunning and I think that Kiss was trying to be uh, current at the time and the the police and Rush had also hit into that reggae kind of vibe I mean when you play this for someone and you know you kind of forget that Kiss tried to do a reggae beat yeah hello yeah and succeeded but because and when they talk about the makeup being an obstacle, this is exactly what they're talking about. Because of the makeup, I still say they stink. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, that's what they got from so many people just because of who they were already. And um, Gene's vocals are phenomenal. Yeah. Like for what, whatever he did with the Cookie Monster stuff of the mid late 70s is gone here. And this is a guy in his early to mid 30s singing his ass off uh-huh. and bringing it bringing it there's stuff that if bono did we would be hearing in rolling stone about how adventurous he is as a vocalist and yep but yep. gene simmons they don't even write home about so right exactly so excellent thanks, choice John yeah excellent choice love that song i am so glad that i opened myself up to unmasked because for the longest time, it was like I said earlier. You just it it didn't give you what you wanted from Kiss, so you kind of shut it down. Yeah. But when I opened up to it, 
at the insistence of Gary Schaller and BJ Cramp, Brian Cramp. It's just what a great album. Yeah. And you know, Ken, you're like a just a year or two older than I am, uh-huh. and so for me there was no difference between unmasked and rock and roll over mm. maybe because of the age you know the yeah. age that i hit kiss it was like this was just the next thing and yeah. so i was as perfectly willing to listen to this in the summer of 80 as i was to listen to love gun in the summer of 77 you know it, it all made go. sense to me yep still does all right well michael rule number five just like Love Gun, they'll probably get him flamed for the rest of his life. Mine probably will, too. Because uh, I'm going to have to go with Cold Gin. And, and the interesting mm. thing about this is we only do one cover song as a band. We do a parody, and it's of this song. Oh, yeah. But from a from a lyrical songwriting standpoint, it's horrid. Uh, there's no rhyme in it. You know, I'm, I'm so tired. I need to build a fire. Um, it's a half rhyme. Half rhyme. Court. Store. You know, it's a uh, third rhyme. It's a one eighth rhyme. Right. So you know. Again, okay, they're so, both in uh, English. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Uh, yeah. It's a great riff. It's it's a but yeah. you know, horrible rhyme and lyric. You know. Um, so just as a songwriter, I look at that and I say they could have been so much better. Um, yet I, I get it. You know, I do. But I but if I have to pick one, this would be the least of my worst. So. Fantastic. Uh, I love this song. Yeah. We all do, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, we all do. But it's it's tough to find a Kiss song that doesn't click with you. And it doesn't mean it's not a good song and that you don't enjoy it. It's just, right. it may be some little thing that you get hung up on, right? It's kind of like running your, your hand, like you ever wash a wall and like you snag your skin on like a nail that didn't, get pulled out or something yeah, every yeah, once yeah. in a while one of these little things will jump out at you mm-hmm. like in love gun it cracks me up you know a girl i can make you feel eh. okay. okay you know <laughs> i was hoping she was okay by the time i got there you know because right, right. i wanted to make her i was like... gonna elevate it because that song love gun is so massive and so like this is it yeah my penis it's like <laughs> it's like Here's here's the thing coming to destroy the world, and then it's like, eh, okay. It's just one of those lyrical things that kind of gets you hung up. Poofed it. I, di- I didn't change the rhyming in it really or anything because we do it called Coffee Time, mm. and it's we do a song called Weissfeld, and you know, so you've been out partying all night, and the next day, of course, you need your coffee, so it's a perfect segue balance. if you will, or balance yeah. between the two. But uh, I didn't try to fix it. I just made it about coffee instead mm. of gin. So.
So if we go to the for the best for me, um, being a Kiss fan since 1975, Redress to Kill was my album, you know, fell in love uh, with Kiss at that point. And we used to go to a restaurant, my buddy and I, and I must have dropped a million quarters in the jukebox. There was two songs, um, Hot Blooded by Foreigner. Mm, great tune. And Detroit Rock City. So I probably funded half of Kiss's Dynasty by quarters back in the 70s with that song. <laughs> Love the song. There's nothing, I can't say anything about this song that's not bad. And I know I'm too emotionally involved in this one yeah. to, you know, to even be objective. But lyrically, it's good. The rhyming is great. The the, the song tells a great story. Um, With that dark undertone, too. I mean, right. normally you'd get a band singing about the glorification of rock and roll and it would end in ecstasy. But in this case, you get the guy's final wail before he's obliterated by a delivery truck. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know? Uh-huh. I, I love the dual guitar harmony oh, solo so through good. that. You know that that very um, composed um, guitar solo that's yeah. in it. It yeah. actually inspired us in one of our songs when we did Middle Age Metal. It wasn't a duel, yeah. but you know we, we did a composed guitar solo in that song. Um, I can't say enough good about this one. So of all time favorite songs, this would be it. DRC was on my list too, but I didn't want to steal it from Rebel. But Detroit Rock City was my introduction to Kiss. My aunt, who through familial weirdness was only five years older than I am, introduced me to Kiss with this album the spring it came out. 
So if I, uh, if I was about to turn eight, then she was 12, you know, so she was the perfect age for this album. And Detroit Rock City was the first song I ever heard by the band. And my mother, bless her heart, bought me the record that day. And uh, yeah, Mike said there's, you know, we learned in later decades that the riff basically was stolen from uh, or borrowed from um, what you're much too young. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, but but on first hearing, it was, yeah, Mike's right. There's nothing bad about it. Whatever Ezrin did to it, you know, with putting the piano in, only filled out the chords, you know, only fills out the sound. It's uh -huh. it's fantastic. To a nine-year-old impressionable kid, you know, it, uh, it's it's always been that soundtrack. What do you 100%. think of that one? Well, Just, to me, there's it's one of those epic moments. It is seriously epic. That is one yeah. of the best things you can say about that track. It, it it tells a story. The performances are fantastic, and it works live. Like sometimes, <laughs> studio trickery on an album is great, but then it doesn't necessarily translate. Right. Live, like for example, as much as I love hearing "I Love It Loud" live, it's never sounded as good as it does on "Creatures of the Night." Right. Unholy, same thing. Yeah, or you can even go with uh, Queen's "We Will Rock You." You know, there's just oh, something, sure, yeah. something yeah, that's missing. That's... You know, you can't always carry that perfection into a live setting. So that's that's the big thing. You know, it's just excellent. I can't say anything bad about it, really. Seriously. No, no, there's nothing there to say bad about that song at all. So I have to ask you guys, mm -hmm. you got to do the podcast. Was it worth it? Was it worth $100 to put a lot of <laughs> smiles on people's faces in Nashville to make some dreams come true, to bring friends together and listeners together and make incredible moments? Was it worth it? You know, Ken, I got to say that it, without like extinguishing chances to do something like this again, mm -hmm. I would say it would have been worth it without the opportunity to be to be on the podcast. You know, uh, I I only really listen to three music podcasts. I listen to you guys, 
and Decibel Geek and BJ with Rock and Roll. Mm-hmm. I, I, I dabble with other things. Um, I, I'd like to get into who's the group that does one song each time. Is, is that Pot of Thunder? Pot of Thunder. Yeah, they're great. I, I want to get into them. I just haven't done it yet. You know, it, time is limited. So, But the those three shows really form the backbone of my music podcast listening. And I think the fact that Chris and Aaron uh, trying to pull this thing together and and making it happen was phenomenal. And the fact that we couldn't be there didn't mean that we couldn't be uh, contributors to it in some way. It was a worthy cause, and we were super happy to do it. This is just the icing. Right, absolutely. Well, it, it means a lot to me that someone cared enough about making a lot of people happy to take the time to open up your wallets and be part of this. And we don't do the show for payment. We'd probably go broke, you know, but, uh, but the bottom line is, is that you guys reached into your wallet and you spoke your heart with this. And on behalf of everyone on the podcast crew and everybody that was at the rock and pod expo 2017 i sincerely from the bottom of my heart want to thank the both of you gentlemen so i'm going to let you guys promote your band and let folks know where they can find you on the socials and all that stuff and where they can reach you all right mike (laughs) (laughs) yeah um, obviously Facebook, you know, um, you can find us there, Iron Fist Online, um, facebook.com forward slash Iron Fist Online. There, there are a number, you know, uh, anybody who's tried to look for us has probably found that there are a number of Iron Fists. There's a, there's a California group who uh, does a lot of 80s covers and they're good. That's not us. There's a, I think, Danish group who had a really actually uh, good album out in the early 2010s. Yeah, also not us, and yes, I think they're defunct. But yeah, we are always, uh, just like it's KISS Online, we are Iron Fist Online if you want to find right. us. You know, and when you had asked about the name earlier, we formed this in 82. So you know, we go back a ways, and uh, the name was picked just basically from something we saw in the library about Iron Fist and a Velvet Glove, and we said that's cool as, you know, a junior and sophomore in high school at that time. Impressionable youth. Yeah. Flaming yeah. youth. <laughs> wait, wait, I'm not flaming. <laughs> anyway, go on. Uh, and we recorded one song back in the day, and then you know, life happened. But uh, we've recorded uh, an EP in 2014, some singles. We recorded an album in 2015, uh, more singles in 2015, 2016. Um, some of those songs were on the Kiss Room for the uh, demos, uh, Kiss demos yeah. uh, show. Demos uh, of rock. Demos of rock. Uh, we did Larger Than Life for Demos of Rock. We did She Keeps It Classy for Demos of Rock. Grown Up Girls was on Demos of Rock. Um, and we've got another one that's off of our new EP right now coming on called Hot Mess. And here are a couple cuts from Iron Fist, Reggae Jack and Breaking the Rock on an Iron Fist twin spin right here on the podcast.
about 25 songs out right now in the last three years and we've probably got another 60 songs in some form of process that, yeah uh, the the songwriting magic is uh we're pent up <laughs> it, it, better than ever yeah because yeah. time is limited well we want to encourage folks to check you out and again thank you so much and absolutely yep. so again i i really hope it was worth it getting a chance to talk to the pot father Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's so funny to hear your voice coming through our speakers in this setting because normally I hear it coming through my speakers in my car yeah. or, you know, out on a walk. And, you, gosh, you know what, Ken? You sound just like you sound. Oh. <laughs> well, I do have a face for radio, too, so it all works out. But uh, seriously, uh, you know, all, all kidding aside, I'm just a dude like you, and uh, I just, you know, it, it touched me so much that anybody would want to do this. And I, I thank you for supporting not only the podcast, but the Rock and Pod Expo 2017. And I'm telling you, folks, of 2018 Rock and Pod Expo, you've got to be there. Go to www.nashvillerockandpodexpo.com. Once again, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart, my, my kiss-loving heart. I want to I thank, thank you both. Us. Seriously. Yep, thank you. Seriously. Thank you. thank you, Mike. Thank you, Scott, for being part of our inaugural Facts of Kiss episode. 
and we will see you on the next episode of your podcast. Oh, yeah. We'll see you guys. Take care. When the world never sees You believe in up to your dreams And suddenly you're finding out the facts Kiss! All about you All about you Hi, Curly All about you ah! It takes a lot to get all right We all learn the facts of Kiss Facts of Kiss And that is our show. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to check us out on the web at www.podcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook and on iTunes. If you'd like to contact the podcast, please drop us a line at podcast at gmail.com. Big thanks to Julian and everyone at kissfaq.com. They've got great information there and a terrific message board, too. Thanks also to Keith LaRue and everyone else at Kiss Online for their great work representing the hottest band in the land. And as always, a big thanks to Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Ace Fraley, Peter Chris, Vinnie Vincent, Bruce Kulick, Eric Singer, Tommy Thayer, and the memory of the late great Eric Carr, and the late great Mark St. John. You are KISS, and we are your army. Podcast is created by the KISS Army for the KISS Army, and it is available for free as an internet download. If you like what you hear on our show, go buy it and support the people who made it. Podcast is not affiliated with KISS or any of its members past or present. On behalf of myself, Ken, and the whole rest of the Podkiss crew, thank you for listening to Podkiss, the KISS fanzine for your ears. A lot of people say, you know, I can't listen to The Elder because of that. Guys. Because of Escape from the Island? Yeah, because wow. because they think it's the end of the podcast. Like every like every time it comes on, it's like, oh, am I am I listening to the podcast? You know, uh, you got to keep listening for all those sex sound effects. Yep, squish. squish. <laughs> you just did or the not. ending of the show right there. <laughs> we do make the sex sounds with our mouth. Pay your taxes. Oh. We're great at that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's, we are amateurs. Yeah, I make all the sex sounds with my mouth afterwards. <sniffs> Squish. The stuff you shoot makes people say, I feel slightly dumber for having masturbated to that. <laughs> this is a my bad kind of scenario. Totally. I had no idea you couldn't light a car on fire in Los Angeles. Now we know. Can't burn a car anywhere, actually. Oh, you, oh, you, yeah, can. you can. I've burned like 40 cars never been arrested you should, you should. It's a great way to get rid of evidence. Yeah. Probably shouldn't tell me that. We're on the same team here. We're, we're detectives. For now, when we solve our friend's murder, we will become vigilantes. Yes. That's illegal. You can't be a vigilante. Why? So why? Batman does it. There's no such thing as Batman and being what? a vigilante. What?
You are so wrong. If you go to Gotham right now, Batman is, is taking the line to his own hands. Batman is a fictitious character. Batman is the alter ego of yeah. Bruce Wayne, who's, who's real, a real person. Obviously. In the movie, he's a real. In the documentaries. I'm sorry? There's yeah. like a million Batman documentaries about Batman. There's one from the 70s, and then there's some from the 90s, and they just had three in the last like decade. There's like three new documentaries yeah. about Batman. Do you have any idea what the term documentary means? Yeah, non-porno with, movies. With, with real people. English now. patient. You guys belong in a mental institution. That's how we met, actually. It was lovely. Yeah. Look. Ooh. This place oh, is nice. Right? I'm glad you wore your nice flip-flops. <sighs> Stay frosty, man. Okay.